you've been with us for a while, you know that we are going through a consecutive expository series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, seeing Jesus together in the Gospel of Luke has been our calling and our opportunity. And our scripture reading this morning, we are now in chapter 8, uh, halfway through, uh, and, be, and look, look, uh, this week and next week, uh, finishing up chapter 8. Uh, our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. And I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful attention. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard, and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home." And declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much 
Jesus had done for him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Oh, Father, give us the help and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we might understand your promises and might realize that you are the healer. Father, I pray today that once again you will help us to see and have light to understand and have ears to hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. A lot of you know that I like things in three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be one example of that. I like, no, I love trilogies. All kind of trilogies. Star Wars, Back to the Future. Some of you younger ones may not know that. You need to. It's, it's, it's a great one. And then, of course, Lord of the Rings. I think I've referenced that once or twice since I've been here. Um, now, love trilogies. Well, do you know that's sort of what Luke provides for us in the second half of chapter 8 of his gospel? You see, it's all about Jesus' mastery over three things. Demons, disease, and death. There's your trilogy. Today, our text follows the great miracle that we looked at last week, where Jesus performed the calming of the raging sea on the lake or sea of Galilee. Now that it's clear who the master is, there's no question of who that is now. If you were here last week, if you read that text, Jesus is the master of the wind and the waves and of all creation. This was just one of the many ways that he showed that. But the one who is the master of wind and waves has another mission, but it's on the other side of the lake. This one started out over on the Galilean side of the lake. If that's looking north, which it is, um, then this on the left side is Capernaum and, and uh, other, other things, Tiberias, places like that. That's on the left side. But Jesus had business over on the right side of the lake in a very interesting region. It was on the other, or what you would, I guess we'd say southeastern shore would be where I am referring and the area was known as the, 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 the Decapolis. Some of you know what Decapolon is, right? In terms of track and field. How many events is that? Ten. Yeah. So 
this was 10 areas or regions that were dominated by, or city-states, Greek cultural city-states would be a way to say it, but they were mixed in with Gentiles and Jews. And so, let me give you a little bit of a, hopefully, insight here. I'll try to start on this side and, uh, and then over here. I think we've got a, a few slides. Yeah. Okay. Here's the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. And there's Tiberias. Uh, but this region here, where I'm outlining this, this is the Decapolis. Goes all the way up into this area in here. Along, coming down out of the uh, into the Jordan River, and uh, this is Bethshean. I've got I've got a slide for that, and probably where this took place was right up there in that area. This is Bethshean. This is one of the uh, ruins uh, from uh, the in the Decapolis from that t uh, that t that period of time. Uh, actually, uh, Saul was and his son were basically nailed up on that that mountain there. Um, but uh, next one, please. Uh, but now th that would be down here further. Um, in this case, let me turn around this side for those of you that are getting a crick in your neck. Um, this you can see there's a pretty steep slope here, and Jesus would have come from this side across to this southeastern region. And this is where this takes place of where Jesus commands the swine, the demons to come out that we read in our scripture reading and drown in the sea or lake of Galilee. Uh, one more slide, I think. Uh, yeah, this is, the, this is kind of like a, a, a former um, monastery that was there. This was a, this was a pillow to kind of commemorate where this happened, where this event that Jesus, you can see the Lake of Galilee out here. All right. Um, thank you. We can return to the, uh, to the, uh, to the slide. So these, this event where Jesus is going to do a healing and thus refer to this in our title as the healer. So here's our text. Our, I mean, here's our outline, if you like that kind of thing. Uh, the man, the master, the multitude, and the missionary. So there you go. Uh, four this time instead of, I should have done something else with my trilogy, shouldn't I? Um, but but we'll, we'll make it, uh, add, we'll add something to it. All right, so there's four. All right, let's dig into that. The man, that's uh, basically uh, the demoniac. Uh, is that's referring to, and that's verses 26 through 28. Now, uh, C.S. Lewis, many of you, of course, know C.S. Lewis and know that I'm uh, a, a rather big fan of his as well. Uh, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis said this about the demonic world. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel any excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. 
and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. It's basically saying you can, you can, you can fall in the ditch either way. Thinking there is none, there are no boogeymen, so to speak, there are no demons, or to become obsessed and trap in and play with those things. Either way, they don't care. They'll be glad to get you off track either way. So, there is no doubt, though, that Jesus knew that demons existed and they were real. And he knew that they knew he was real. They all knew who he was. Now, Luke gives us a great detail about the demon-possessed man in the, uh, of the tombs. Uh, he lived in literally unmitigated torture. Um, he was a wild man. Um, to be more accurate, he was a demoniac. He was a demon-possessed man. And he lived in these mountainous caves on that hillside that we saw in that area and living in caves uh, day and night, terrifying others and mutilating himself, hurt, doing harm to his own person. Chains had been tried. They could not hold him. The power that what was possessing this man was so great. And he was, of course, religiously unclean. He couldn't come to church. He couldn't come to sanctuary. He couldn't, he couldn't be anywhere near it because he was unclean. Now, why would demons want to drive out men and women in such degradation? I mean, this guy's already in a, a, a mess. He's, he is in a terrible condition and state. Why, do, why, why would demons want to drive men and women into such despair and degradation? Well, pretty simple answer to that. Hatred of God. If it can't get to God's children, he's still going to do all that he can. Him and his minions, his demons, they're going to do all they can to try to give something that will mess up God's plans. And then... You add to that the fact that we are made in God's image. And so that's why he comes after us. If he can't get to God and ultimately he knows he can't, he just hopes to mess up the plans or dust up and mark up and spoil and have influence of evil upon those that are the image bearers of God. He hates God, and he hates God's image bearers. If Tertullian was right when he said the glory of God is a human being fully alive, if that's true, and I believe it is, then the opposite, then this situation is the total opposite of that. This is a person in dire despair, in, in great pain and suffering. There's no glory of God shining out from this man. He's the exact opposite. He's in incredible, severe circumstance and loss 
and misery. Now, the second part of this is the master. That's the man, the circumstance he's in. The master, that refers, of course, to our Lord Jesus, the master of the wind and waves that we saw last week, uh, verses 29 through 33. When Jesus arrived on the shore, this demoniac meets him there. The demons are driving him to Jesus for some reason. As Jesus was commanding, as soon as he got there and got out of the boat, he knew what they were coming for. And he was already commanding them to leave this man, this poor man. He commanded the unclean spirit to come out. The demon-possessed man cried out, What have we to do? What, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, that's kind of strange, isn't it? Why would these demons, you think maybe they'd be running the opposite direction, but they're running to Jesus as they see him coming. And they are yelling out as Jesus is in the process of beginning, beginning to take them out, to, to remove them from this man. They are crying out, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Do not torment me. Now, what is that about? What's up with that? What was he saying? Well, the parallel account in Matthew, the, uh, by the way, this is recorded in Luke, it's recorded in Matthew, and it's recorded uh, in John, uh, no, not John, excuse me, um, Matthew. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, yeah, <laughs> those three. Uh, all, this story is recorded in all three. Um, but the parallel account in Matthew 8.29 gives us a clue. Because he says, Matthew says something, the others don't. He says, and behold, they cried out, meaning the demons, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Now, isn't that strange? He's telling them, why have you, the son of God, come here to torment us before our time. These guys are scared of Jesus. They are very, very upset and very afraid. They think something is happening, and they're right. You see, why did they do that? Well, they knew uh, or, well, let me list, let you listen also to R.C. Sproul. We'll, uh, we'll try him um, on, on this. He says, the comments made by this man of the tombs show us that the demons of hell understood that. In his plan of redemption, God has appointed a day when Satan will be bound and all the forces of hell will be crushed once and for all. Every last demon knows what Satan knows. That their days are numbered. And when the Lord comes to draw history to a close, the, demo 
the demonic world will not be able to match his power. It will be no contest. The demons live in mortal fear of that moment in history when all of their diabolical activity will be over once and for all. And you see, they knew that this was not yet supposed to be their time. They knew it was coming. They know the train has left the station. But they're wondering, what is the Son of God doing here now? Maybe they were wondering, has, has he somehow moved up the timetable? The Son of God is here now. We're, we're toast. So they try to suggest an alternative plan. You see, next, Jesus compels them to tell him what? Their name. Or their names. <laughs> their name is legion. Plural. You see, a Roman legion is about 6,000, was about 6,000 soldiers. But this is not, this is metaphorical. It's not to say there were literally 6,000 demons. I don't think that's what it's suggesting. What it's suggesting is a large host. Lots of them. Gobs and gobs. Bukus of demons. Then the demons beg Jesus to send them where? Into the pigs. So Jesus agrees to basically make deviled ham. L-O-L. Okay, come on, come on. I've got to wake up. I know, that's, that's grown worthy. I know. Um, so, then the host of demons enter the herd of pigs, and of course, they rush down that steep hill and drown in the Lake of Galilee. Now, what a testimony to the power of the Master. With a word, Jesus speaks, and these possessed swine were off to another existence. And the demons were in, assigned to incorporeal existence until their time came. In other words, they were not going to be able to go into anyone else inhabiting and using someone else's body. They were going to be in a state until their time came. And Jesus did all this with just his will. What a master of things in creation. Now, the next step is very interesting in, in verses 34 through 37 because you then encounter not just the situation with Jesus and this legion, 
But now there are a lot of bystanders. There are a lot of people that have, have come to follow Jesus anyway. There are a lot of people that have their livelihoods here. The multitude, the multitude is our third part of the text. It didn't take long for those tending the herd of pigs that witnessed the event to go start blabbering it all over the place. I mean, they'd never seen anything like this. They knew this man. They knew what state he was in. And now all of a sudden, there's this transfer and these pigs have drowned themselves in the lake. And so they went to tell the town folk. And before you knew it, there was this great multitude had arrived and saw the man, ironically, completely in his right mind. He's clothed. He's himself like they had never, ever seen him before. He was restored into a whole man again. Now, why did the multitude ask Jesus to leave? But you've heard that, right? Here they are. They're, they're seeing this. You'd think they'd be saying, oh, Jesus, please stay longer. Come, come and stay with us. We'll set up a... No. I said, Jesus, why don't you go back that direction where you came? Why? Why? What? what? They weren't rejoicing that this man had been healed. Why? Did the multitude ask Jesus to leave? That's the question. Well, it may have been because they were afraid of Jesus' supernatural power. Remember what happened just the last time out? Who was afraid of Jesus' power? The disciples. They were scared, flat scared, because they knew they were in the presence of something that they'd never known in this world. They were in the presence of deity, and it scared the gajibis out of them. So maybe that's what was going on here. They were like the disciples in, eight, in uh, chapter 8, verse 25. It's also possible, though, that they wanted Jesus to leave because it was costing them bank. Jesus had just taken a lot of their livestock, and just sent it to the watery butcher. I, the, the, this, this guy has come here and wrecked our number one priority, our wealth, our possessions. We don't want this guy around. Listen to what uh, Edmund Raymond says, kind of a, a, little, a little play on words here. Rabbi, be gone. He's saying this is what, what the, was probably in the hearts of a lot of these people that were more concerned about, about the profit that they lost than about the recovery of this poor man. Rabbi, be gone. Thy powers bring loss to us and ours. Our ways are not as thine. Thou lovest men, we wine. Oh, get you hence, omnipotence, and take this fool of thine. Who is that? That's the, that's the, the guy, the demoniac that was healed. 
and take this fool of thine. His soul, what care we for his soul? What good to us that thou hast made him whole? Since we have lost our swine. Poor guys. They don't, they, they, they're, not, they're not concerned. They're not rejoicing. They're not inviting this guy that Jesus has healed and cleaned. Hey, why don't you come, come to our church? Why don't you come visit with us at Sanctuary at, at, at uh, Pentecost? Um, good night, Camp Faith. Uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Sabbath. Come, next Sabbath, come, come with us at synagogue. Come worship with us at synagogue. No, apparently no interest. You see, they were more concerned about the loss of their profits than the newfound health of a human being made in the image of God. They had inverted values. And where do we see that? All around us, everywhere. Inverted values. People will sell their soul for things that are worthless and give up and not be interested in the things that lead to eternal life. So, the missionary is the last little point, verses 38 and 39. In light of what happened to this man, it's no wonder that he wanted to become one of Jesus' disciples. A lot of people did, at various, and some did at various levels. But we don't know whether what, what level he was interested in, but he said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. You've done this for me. I want to go and be with you and your guys and girls. You see, he wanted to go with Jesus, but what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, nope. Not this time, not now. I want you to go home, and I want you to tell. Tell your friends and relatives and neighbors. Just tell them what I did for you. That was it. Now, we might, you know, think, well, why, why did Jesus not take him? Many reasons. But I want to end on this note. Uh, it's a story about an ophthalmologist. We have one in our service right over there. Um, an ophthalmologist, Jim. Um, and uh, there was this guy, and he had become uh, an ophthalmologist. He had done all his the, the hard work and the prep and study and all those things. And so he was fresh out of med school and he was trying to get together a practice. You know, okay, great. You got, what do you get? Come out of med school. What do you got? A lot of debt, right, Jim? <laughs> uh, you got a lot of debt and you got to now get people that are willing to come to see you instead of seeing somebody else. Develop your own practice. So he was trying to do this and he was getting real discouraged. Things were not going very well. And, uh, on one occasion, he found and ran into a guy that was literally had had some eye problems and was almost blind or could hardly see. And he said, the uh, the uh, the ophthalmologist would be ophthalmologist. 
he said to that, young, that person, he said, look, I can help you with that. I can, I can heal you. Why don't you let me restore your sight? And the guy, you know, reluctantly thought, is this too good to be true? And he said, okay. So he let the guy, the, new, the ophthalmologist, work on his eyes. And sure enough, he was able to see now. But he had a problem. He didn't have any money either. This poor guy that had been walking around mostly blind, he didn't have any money to pay the doctor for his services, which was right and should be. But the doctor said, don't worry about that. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Here's all I want you to do. I just want you to tell everybody you see that you were blind. And then I want you simply to tell them who it was that healed you. Now think about that. That's what Jesus was saying. I just want you to go home. Tell them who it was that healed you. Tell them you were blind. And tell them that Jesus did. You see that song in that amazing that we sang the anthem amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found blind but now I see he wanted me to remind you let's pray father thank you again for your precious word Thank you, Father, for the promises and for the assurances that are for those of us who receive you. Father, I pray, uh, Lord, thank you for being the healer. And Father, as we next week look at, at, at more of your great power in bringing healing and showing the promises of what can be and will be for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray now that you will accept our thanks and, Lord, bring us healing in every way that we need that, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, sometimes in other ways. Lord, thank you again for your great love and mercy to us. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.